0: So my name is Ken, Uh, this is week 10 of a rebuilding process that began when we got to joyfully send out 150 people from this place uh, to plant Prodigal Church on the northwest side of Fresno. Uh, And so thanks so much for being here. Today we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Uh, You can go to chapter 11, verse 4, and I will get there eventually, Uh, but... We're talking about the Passover today. The Passover is the big event that shaped so much of Israel's history. It was the big thing that changed everything, changed how they thought about God, changed how they related to God, how they pictured God, and it just gets sprinkled everywhere throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the perfection of the Passover. We'll talk about that a little bit later, Uh, but in all reality, the Passover is the thing that shapes everything everything at the beginning of it Israel uh, is in slavery and at the end I won't spoil the ending but just basically say they're they're not anymore uh, it's the thing that changes everything before I was the pastor here I was the high school pastor at Mountain View main campus which is actually that way so I'll point with my right hand not left hand uh, and and part of my job there was meeting with the people in my group which were high schoolers so as I got increasingly older this got increasingly weirder uh, and and one of the guys like the the carry on top of of me meeting with kids, uh, was a teacher who was at Clovis East, and he grew up with my wife, Anna. So he knows that Anna is normal, but he kept seeing me around town and like quickly thought, this dude is not normal. uh, Because what am I supposed to do? Before school, like I would pick up kids, uh, meet them at Starbucks, talk about God, pray for them, see what God's doing in their life, and then take them to school. At lunchtime, I meet up with seniors uh, and kids who are homeschooled. I'll meet them at the restaurants there by Ashland and Fowler when he would be there on his lunch break. And so this guy kept Seeing me, Anna's husband, who's clearly not in high school and nowhere near it, kept meeting up with young dudes. And he became to get really, really concerned and maybe about to report me. Fortunately, he told one of his co workers, like, this dude is not right. I see him all the time with different young men. Like, what should be done about this? And his co worker says, he's a pastor. It's okay. He's a high school pastor. He's supposed to be with all those people. And so this thing changed the guy's complete perception about me, and I did not go to jail, which is all really, really good. But it's a whole, the Passover is like that. It's the thing that changes everything about Israel. It changes everything about how they think about God, how they think about themselves, and what they expect God to do. The Passover is the story of God bringing us into our destiny. We hear that destiny and we sometimes we think that it, it's going to be a really good thing that everything's going to work out. And at the dark side of that we think that it's just my destiny. To struggle with this. It's just my destiny to be an addict. It's just my destiny that that relationship is never going to get restored. But in all reality, God has a destiny for us, and since it's from God, we can build everything on the expectation that that destiny is one that's going to be good. God tells us time and time again, he is a good father. If you, as parents on earth, know how to give good gifts to your kids, so much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to you. And part of that is our destiny. It is a good destiny, and the Passover is the picture, the story of God bringing us into our destiny. And what it goes to show us clearly Throughout the book of Exodus, in, th- in this instance specifically, that there is no point where we can tell God, okay, you've done that in the Bible, you've done that for other people, but I don't think you'll do that for me. My stuff is too deep. It's too far gone. That relationship that could be repaired, it's just too broken. That addiction that I have that you want to free me from, it's just gone on too long. It's just, it's just, it's just, and God just hits mute. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so Exodus or the, the Passover is a story of that. And God does all this in the book of Exodus, which we've been going at for the last four weeks, and we got about six weeks left. He does all this through the person of Moses. And Moses is a perfect picture of us because there are so many things that he gets wrong. Okay, the first one of those was not his fault, but everything following Moses gets wrong. Moses was born as a slave uh, at a point where Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had decided that that every young boy of Moses' race was going to be killed. And so from the Passover right away, we see that God has a destiny for us even in the face of death. In the face of death, God has a plan for us. It's going to be good. So what happens? Moses' mom gives birth to this boy, and all of a sudden she realizes there is a death sentence on my child. And so she keeps him hidden, keeps him silent for three months, which is a dad who has raised three kids. How do you do that? Like, can you just put that in there, please? I know the Bible has this ton of stuff. I'd love a footnote on this is how she made her kids shut up. Like, that would be amazing, okay? I know there's a lot of pages. Let's put in one more and just give people like me some instruction. Eventually, he starts to make noise again. So whatever she did, it didn't work, but it worked for a time. Uh, And she thinks, okay, I've got to do something with my son because I don't want him to die. And so she goes down to the Nile River. She puts her boy, she puts her life in a basket and just sends it down to the river to get picked up by somebody else. And who picks it up there? It's Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. It's his daughter. She picks him up. And says, there, this Hebrew boy, he's just left alone. We, we need to do something about this. At this moment, uh, Moses' sister comes running over and says, hey, that's a Hebrew baby. There's a Hebrew lady right over here. Spoiler, it's his mom. Uh, who, who wants to take care of that baby and nurse him for you because you can't do that, but she can. And so Moses' mom comes in anonymously and nurses the baby and raises him. And at one point gives him back to Pharaoh. And Moses grows up uh, a Hebrew slave but not a slave because he's living in Pharaoh's house. He's basically living in the White House of Egypt. So it's a, it's a destiny that's even stronger than death. It's also a destiny that's stronger than failure. God has a destiny for us even in the face of failure. So Moses grows up in the White House. And he sees his people, the Israelites, being treated as slaves. And one day he's walking around the city and he sees uh, an Egyptian brutally mistreating a Hebrew slave. And so he acts out. Moses' DNA, his destiny is that he's going to be the person who fights for the rights of those who have no, li- no rights. That he's going to lead people from slavery into freedom. And so he steps out in, in violence and in anger and ends up killing the Egyptian. And so he hides the body and thinks everything's going to be fine. But word gets to Pharaoh that Moses, his adopted son, had killed an Egyptian. And Pharaoh is furious and Moses runs away as a fugitive. He's sent to Egypt. He's brought out of the water. His life is spared because God's purpose for him is to save the Israelite people. And Moses fails, falls flat on his face and is now a fugitive and he runs away away from the country that he was born into, away from the country where he was rescued and away from the people that he was supposed to save. And God shows us through Moses that even in the midst of absolute total failure, I can bring that back. Yeah, Moses could say, but I'm just, I'm too messed up. And God's like, mute, I will show you that my destiny for you is even stronger than your failure. And so God shows Moses that one day. He shows up in the form of a burning bush. It's a voice coming from a bush that's not—that's being burned but not consumed. And he tells Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt, back to the place where you're a fugitive, and you're going to take my people and you're going to lead them to freedom. And Moses says, nope, you've got the wrong guy. And so again, God goes, mute. This is what's going to happen. I've got a destiny for you that is bigger than your doubt, and I'm going to lead you back. And so Moses goes back. Moses is the one person in the story who doesn't want to see this happen because he's afraid. He's convinced he's not the guy. And he shows up and the Hebrews, the Israelites, God's people, are are still being kept as slaves. And what we're going to see today is how God mutes their slavery and leads them out of Egypt into freedom. And we're going to look at this because this is our story. This shows us, reminds us of the fact that not a single one of us are off limits to God. That anything that we could bring as a sign, as a reason why God couldn't work in us, God says, Mute, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do anyway. I'm going to show you my power, that your destiny is not the death sentence that you think it is. It is not the life of of oppression that you think it is. It is a life of freedom and joy through me, in me, and because of me. So we're going to start in uh, Exodus 6, and then I'll pop uh, to where you guys are in uh, 11.4. 6-1, then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Verse 6, therefore, when the people of, therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. And so this act of powerful arm and and great acts of judgment, it begins to unfold in front of Moses. Moses and his brother, his brother Aaron is like Moses' spokesperson because he doesn't want to talk in front of Pharaoh. He wants to make Aaron talk. They, they go to before Pharaoh and Aaron takes his staff, his shepherd's staff, and throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake because God told him that was what he was supposed to do. And the snake is the image of power and of control in Egypt. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, that's, that's a big deal, whatever, but I, my people can do the same thing. And so all of his magicians throw their, their staffs on the ground too and they turn into snakes. But then Aaron's staff starts to eat all the other staffs. It's kind of weird, but, but it's a picture of, of God showing Pharaoh, my power is so much bigger than yours. And then from that, there are 10 plagues uh, that you maybe have heard about or maybe you've seen in Prince of Egypt or something where God begins to push down on, on Pharaoh's heart to say, my power is so much bigger than yours. It starts with the Nile River, which is their source of life. It's how they get food, it's how they get water. God turns that to blood to say, I can cut off your life. I can cut off everything about you. And still Pharaoh's heart gets hard and stays hard. And Then he sends frogs and flies and livestock and boils on the skin and hail and locusts and one day he just takes away the sun. They worship to the sun and God says, "Like not anymore. It's gone because I have a destiny for you that's bigger than your slavery." And through all this, Pharaoh doesn't budge, continues to hold the Israelites as slaves, never gives in to God's call through Moses to let him go. And that's when we get to chapter four or chapter eleven. Verse four. It says this, Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt and all the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt. From the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the youngest son of the lowly servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. And then a loud wail, Will rise throughout the land of Egypt a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then, burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now the Lord had told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but then I will do even more mighty miracles in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed these miracles in Pharaoh's presence, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. Continuing to chapter 12, when the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. These are your instructions for eating the meal. This is verse 11. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the house where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. He's warning the people. He's saying, I'm gonna make sure in powerful means that everyone knows who's in control, who's in control of your destiny, who's in control of your future, who's in control of your freedom. And as you make the decision to follow me, everything else is gonna fall into place. And let's skip to verse 28. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. And even the firstborn of the livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and a loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. And all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added, and they wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Succoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. "'For bread they baked flat cakes from the dough "'without yeast they had brought from Egypt. "'It was made without yeast "'because the people were driven out of Egypt "'in such a hurry that they had no time "'to prepare the bread or other food. "'The people of Israel lived in Egypt for 430 years. "'In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year "'that all the Lord's forces left the land.' On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt so this night belongs to him and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. God's saying, I'm telling you, you can trust me. Your your slavery that you see today, your doubt of whether I'm going to do anything, your failure that you're running from, even the threat of death, all of these things fall before me as God who holds your life in my hand. And I'm bringing you to a destiny that's good. Slavery is bad, but it is not stronger than God's destiny over our lives. He's saying, whatever you can put in front of me, I can take you over that. And so what he does is he sends an angel of death to cripple Egypt, this thing that was the most powerful country on the planet at that time, led by a leader who was the most powerful man on earth. They take their slave labor force and because of the work of God, they say, okay, we want you to go. You can leave now. You can go. God leaves them out of their slavery and for us as Christians, this story is just the beginning for us. This is our story, but it's only the beginning because Jesus is the Passover lamb, not only dies to save us from spiritual death, He also rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, and the devil. This is what Jesus did for us. And so if we're going to join the story, if we're going to jump into what was going on in the nation of Israel, if we're going to understand where the Israelites were at this point, I want us to close our eyes, okay? Let's just go there in our head. I realize that if you have very, very young children at home, this might be a one-way trip into closing your eyes, that you will wake up eventually when we're all gone. But you're a slave, okay? Let's picture that. You've got no control over anything. At the end of your work day, instead of being able to go home and rest, you get beatings. Instead of having a return to show for your work and, and promotions, you get abuse, you get beatings, you get uh, assault. Whatever you can imagine, that, that's, that's your reality because you're a slave. You're held captive. You're in bondage. Physical, emotional, spiritual, you're, you're bound And then God comes in, and through a miracle, God walks you into your freedom. You don't do anything, you don't plan for it, you don't wage a war, you don't recruit troops, God just comes in and opens the gates, and you walk out into your freedom. You're gone, you're done, you're free. Your life of oppression is behind you, a life of freedom is what's in front of you. That's what Jesus does for us. That's the way that he pulls us from death to life. He literally came as our Passover lamb. First 1 Peter 1.18, it says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, who, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose you as your ransom long before the world began, but in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Man, our, our, our Savior didn't come just as a lamb that, whose blood was going to be spilled across a doorpost. He was somebody who willingly laid down his life for ours on a real cross. He was crucified on a cross instead of butchered on a butcher's block. And his blood continues to free us today just like it did for the Israelites thousands of years ago in Egypt. Jesus came as the pure, spotless lamb who lived the life that we, that we should have lived but could never live in absolute perfection. He never sinned, and so he's never broken away from God. He is the pure, spotless lamb whose blood is spilled for our freedom. Our freedom to lead us out of sin, to lead us out of fear, to lead us out of insignificance, to lead us out of captivity, to lead us out of doubt, to lead us out of failure. All these things that God took Moses and took the Israelites from and led them out of, Jesus wants to do for us spiritually. He's saying your fear that keeps you bound, your, your doubt, your failure, whatever you come to me with, I'm going to take that and I'm going to lead you out of it. It's a picture of our freedom. It's a picture of our salvation. It's the work of Jesus done for us. And the thing that keeps getting me about the Passover is Israel had nothing to do with it except to walk out of the work that God had done for them. God comes in. God says, I'm going to free you. God performs the plagues. God uses Moses. And God walks him out. He says, you're going to see the miraculous happen, and all you need to do is follow me in it. It's through Jesus' work and not our own that we have freedom, that we have new life. In World War II, there's, there's a guy named Oscar Schindler. He's the person who Schindler's List was made after. He was a very, very successful businessman, and when he started to see what was happening to his Jewish employees, instead of just sitting back and saying, well, that, that's too bad, I can't do anything, uh, he begins to leverage his money and spend his wealth to buy freedom for the Jews. That apart from him, they were headed to concentration camps. They were headed to certain death. But what he does is he begins to buy them and begins to pay off the Nazis so that they could live. They could live in secrecy in his, in his factories. What starts to happen is uh, that the area where he is at continues to be more and more overrun uh, by the Germans. And so he buys a factory in the southern part of Germany where, where they can live in secrecy, where they can live kind of off the radar. And so he moves hundreds of Jews from a factory in Poland into Germany and saves tons of lives. It's not something that that the Jews did. It's something that he laid down the money for. He performed the bribes. He made it happen, and they follow what he did. We've got a scene from the movie right here. I didn't. You can finish that page. What did Gerd say about this? You just told him how many people you needed and. You're not buying them. You're buying them, you're paying them for each of these names. If you were still working for me, I'd expect you to talk me out of it. Costing me a Finish the page and leave one space at the bottom. absolute good the list is life all around its margins lies the gulf the line at the end he says the list is an absolute good the list is life and all around it lies the guff that that's their word for for the afterlife all around it lies death but the list is an absolute good I mean, Jesus did that perfectly for us, where he took us while we were slaves. He took us while all around us, everything except for him was going to lead till death. And he brings us into a relationship with him. And that's what we get to remember as Christians every single day, is that the Passover is our story. It's the example of what God does for us. It's God reaching into our lives, wherever that point was where he found us, lifting us up and saying, I've got something for you that's better. I've got a future for you that's found in me. And I've got a whole different type of service that you've got ahead of you. Instead of being slaves to things on earth which you're going to steal and kill and destroy, I'm going to make you my servants. And for the rest of your life, you're going to follow me and you're going to find peace. You're going to find joy. You're going to find wholeness. You're going to find a new life. That's what Jesus does for us. He lays down his life to purchase our freedom, to cover our sins. And he leads us into a life serving him for the rest of our days. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb who's given for our salvation, whose death is is for our sins, whose resurrection is to bring us into relationship with God and into a place of all authority and everything in heaven on earth, sitting with him before the throne of God, no longer as slaves, but as sons and daughters of our God who bought us back from the devil. And so Exodus is our story. We're drawn out of slavery and drawn into relationship with God. For us as Christians, the Passover continues every single day for us. We get up, we pray to our God, not because we're special, but because Jesus looks at us and says, I see those people in their situation separated from me. I'm coming to give my life for their salvation so that they can worship God face to face now. Because so that they can come into God's throne room, not being identified or known anymore by their sins, but by, by, by being known as sons and daughters of God, to lead them out of their own slavery, they're out of their own addiction, out of their own doubts, out of their own fears, out of their own failure, bringing them from that into a new life with me. That's our story. I love it what, what God tells Moses at the very beginning and he's explaining the Passover. He says, your whole calendar now is gonna change. This now is your first month. This is your first day. This is the beginning of your new life where you used to be slaves. That is your past. That is not your future. Your future is now being led out by my work miraculously on your behalf so that you can live freely for me. That is our story. And Exodus or the Passover reminds us of that. That we used to be slaves, but God came in miraculously, not just through the blood of a lamb or of a goat, but the blood of his very own son, poured out for our restoration, for our salvation, for our freedom, so we could have a relationship with Jesus. That should never, ever get old to us. Because just like the Passover, this isn't something that we did on our own, this is something that God did for us. The song that we sang at the beginning, you saw me, you called me, and I ran out of my grave. I love that. That's that's our identity. That's who we are. Because Exodus is our story. It's the big deal that changes everything. We were people living in a dying world and Jesus brought us life. We were people that were bound by our failures and Jesus brought us forgiveness. We were people living enslaved to sin and Jesus broke the oppression and walks us out freely. We were people living with a dead end future and Jesus says, all your hope, your good destiny can be found in me now, let's go be free. That's God's plan for us and he wants us remembering that and reflecting on that daily because we are no longer limited by whatever limitations and failures and doubts and fear that we can put on ourselves. Jesus says your new life is found in me. Your new year starts today. Your new future is poured out by my blood to bring you into freedom. That's our future. That's our God who loves us. Let's stand and pray.